Well, good morning, PBC. It is a joy to stand before you this morning and bring God's word. Um, so if you have your Bibles, let's open them back up to Matthew 15. And I'm going to pray for us one more time, and then we will get into our message this morning. So would you pray with me? Father God, it is a joy to gather with my brothers and sisters here this morning and to open up the word to them. And Father, we spend a lot of time together studying scripture. We spend a lot of time together praying. And Father, just pray, God, that now you use this time to glorify your son, Jesus, and everything that is said and spoken. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you like stories? If you like stories, raise your hand. How many of you like to hear the same story over and over and over? Now, I have a terrible memory. Some of you may know this or not. And I like to tell the same things to my wife over and over and over. And sometimes she listens. Sometimes she's gracious. But other times she's like, are you about to tell me about such and such? Because you told me that last week. I feel like that's our approach to Scripture sometimes when we get to passages such as the one this morning. As you were reading, maybe in your mind you were thinking, wait a minute, didn't we just hear this preached a few weeks ago? And the answer would be yes. Now, the, the stories that kind of flip-flop were in Matthew 14, we have the feeding of the 5,000 and then the healings. Where in Matthew 15, we have the healings first and then the feeding of the 4,000s. <clears throat> but there is a clear difference in here between these two passages. Now, there is debate, rightly, as to whether or not are these the same accounts that Matthew just wrote different amounts of people, especially when it comes to the feeding, or are these two separate accounts? And I would submit to you this morning that these are two separate accounts. This is different from the feedings and the healings in Matthew 14, even though a lot of the words and a lot of the verbiage are the same. So if you look with me, let's read again, beginning with verse 29, and then let's get into our message. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee, and he went up from the mountain and sat there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with him the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them. So the great crowds wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel." Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I am unwilling to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed the great crowd? And Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? They said seven and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish, and he gave thanks. He broke them and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they were, took up seven baskets full of broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men, besides men, women and children. And after sending away the crowd, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magdadon. 
So my first point this morning here is kingdom expansion, inclusion of Gentiles into the kingdom of God. Kingdom expansion, inclusion of Gentiles into the kingdom of God. Now, if you're thinking this morning that you just heard this, you would be right. But Jesus has shifted his focus now from the Jew, Jewish population to the Gentile population. So in Matthew 14, the, the, the focus of his ministry of the healings and of the feedings was the Jewish population. And now here in Matthew 15, we see that he is now including the Gentiles based off of the end of verse 31, which says, and they glorified the God of Israel. Now, a couple of things I want to point out before we move on is this. Do not be so familiar with the stories of the Bible that we lose the awe and wonder of the biblical accounts. So we should not become so familiar that when we read passages such as this, that we just kind of glance over it and we miss the awe and wonder of what is happening here. Do you truly realize what we just read? People who were once unable to walk are now walking. Marvel at that. Like, 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 like we read the, these verses and sometimes we just kind of glance over like, God has made people who were once lame, unable to walk, are now walking. People who were blind can now see. Now, many of y'all this morning here with those wonderful things called glasses, imagine if God just miraculously heals you where you no longer need glasses. But these people were blind. I, I hold to the scripture, which means that they could not see, and now they can see. There were those who couldn't speak. There were those who were mute, and they're brought to, to Jesus, and now they are able to speak. And we can apply this to all of Scripture. Think about Noah and the ark. How many times have you read that story, and you're like, well, I've heard this before. Like, think about what Noah did. He built a boat, this, this humongous boat, and God flooded the earth. Well, think about Ezekiel um, and family worship. We just read the story of Ezekiel at my house. And Ezekiel is prophesying to these dry bones. And these bones come alive. Like, that should cause us to, to look at this God that we talk about, to look at this God that we read about and say, man, what a great, glorious God we serve. That he can take dry bones and he can make them come to life. When we come to the biblical accounts, it should cause us to marvel and to say, look at this, that even diseases and even sickness has to obey his word. Nothing is too great for our God to handle. These people came to Jesus. More than likely, they heard about who Jesus was they, they, they probably heard about the miracles that he was performing, and they came to him, and they 100% realized that this man could heal them, that this man could take away their sickness or their disease, and Jesus did. Matthew 11, Jesus says, Come to me, 
all who are, are labor and heavy laden, and I would give you rest. So Christian, what are you facing this morning? Maybe it's sickness. Maybe it's health issues. Maybe it's a sin struggle. Maybe it's problems in your marriage. Maybe it's problems between you and your kids. Maybe it's issue at work. Whatever you're facing this morning, it is not too difficult for our God to take on upon himself. Non-believer, if you're sitting here this morning and you're not a believer, Jesus desires that you bring your messiness, your brokenness, your sin, that you bring it to him and let him in return give you eternal life through salvation. Bring it all to Jesus as these people were. These people came to Jesus fully believing that he and only he could heal them. May we approach him the same way with our problems. Jesus has now welcomed Gentiles into his kingdom. Now, I don't know all of y'all sitting here this morning, but I would almost believe that most of us sitting here are not Jewish descent. So for, for, for you and I, this is great news. That the kingdom of God is not, is not only open to the Jews, but it's also open to people like me and you, the Gentiles. That should bring us great encouragement this morning. Ephesians 2 says this, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. This is what Jesus has done for you and I. And not only does he heal the people, now he's going to feed them. Look with me at verse 32 again. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd. Isn't it comforting to read those words? This is Jesus looking amongst the people, and he says, I have compassion for them. And it's that same compassion that, that drove Jesus to the cross. It's that same compassion that drove Jesus to die for the sins of you and I. It's that same compassion that he went to the grave with, and it's that same compassion that we're celebrating next week with him rising from the dead, having victory over our sins. These people had now been with Jesus for three days, and he's healed them physically, he's healed them spiritually, and now he's going to feed them physically. Now, don't, don't miss this point now. Jesus cares and has compassion for us so much that he even cares about our most basic needs. And food, and shelter, water, our most basic needs. Jesus cares about us so much that he is willing to provide that for us. <clears throat> then we get to verse 33. And the disciples said to him, Where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed 
so great a crowd. My, how quickly had the disciples forgotten what had happened just roughly a few, mo- a few months ago. They had seen Jesus feed 5,000, so surely you would think that 4,000 is easy for God. But no, these people are in their, their human aspect. says, Jesus, where are we going to feed these people? This is so great a crowd. And Jesus said to them in verse 34, How many loaves do you have? They said seven and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish, and giving thanks, he broke them and gave to the disciples, and the disciples gave to the crowd. Don't miss verse 37. So when we approach Scripture, we need to sometimes slow down and really grasp what, are we, what, what is being uh, said to us. Verse 37, and they ate and were satisfied. They ate and were satisfied. Jesus didn't just provide just a little just to get them to the next moment in life. No, they ate until they, their, their, their stomachs were so full that they could not eat anymore. That's what Jesus does to your, your life and my life. He provides satisfaction for us that is abundantly more than we could ever imagine, that we could ever desire, that anything else could provide for us. So the first point this morning... Kingdom expansion, inclusion of the Gentiles into the kingdom of God. Our second point, kingdom signs, another sign needed. Look with me at chapter 16, beginning of verse 1. And the Pharisees and Sadducees came and to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed them. So here the Pharisees and the Sadducees now come together, and they're going to plot. They're going to try to test Jesus. Now, one thing you've you got to realize this, that the Pharisees and Sadducees were not united. They were enemies for one another. They stood against one another. But now that they have a common denominator, and that's this man, Jesus. They want to see him brought down. Because, see, the Pharisees lived according to the smallest points of the law, and the Sadducees received only the written words of the, the Scriptures. The Pharisees believed in angels and the resurrection. The Sadducees did not. The Pharisees were not a political party and were prepared to live under any government. Whereas the Sadducees were aristocrats and collaborated with the government to keep their wealth and power. The Pharisees looked and longed for the Messiah. The Sadducees did not. Yet, All of these differences they set aside, and Jesus brought them together, but not in a good way. They came in opposition to Jesus. Now they come to him, they ask him a question. Show us a sign sign from heaven. Now think about this. These religious leaders have been around. 
They, they, they have seen the miracles. Maybe they were around at the feedings. They look for a sign from heaven. Like, have you ever said this or heard someone say this? I'll believe it when Jesus writes it in chocolate in the sky. Like, that's the kind of sign they were looking for. Because they were not convinced that the signs that they were seeing physically in front of them was enough. And then you continue Jesus' response here in verse 2. He answered them, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. In the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. So Jesus here condemns their hypocrisy. They felt confident that they could predict the weather based off of what they saw around them but they were so blinded spiritually that they not, could not recognize Jesus as the Messiah that they have longed for and they were looking for. D.A. Carson said this. He said, the proof that they cannot discern the signs is that they ask for a sign. MacArthur said this about this particular verse. He said, their method of predicting the weather by looking to the color of the sky was primitive and crude, yet ironically, they were better meteorologists than they were theologians. They could recognize a coming storm from something as subtle as the morning colors, but they failed to recognize the coming of the Messiah in spite of the overwhelming evidence that had been presented right in front of their eyes. Jesus said this of the religious leaders of his own day, that they were prophecies, circumstances, and evidence that made it abundantly clear as to the signs of the times that the Messiah had come. Then the scripture continues that an evil and adulterous generation seek for a sign. This statement of Jesus reminds us that signs alone convert no one. It is so easy for us to put our faith into what we can see and what we can wonder at instead of the truth of the gospel message. And Jesus says, I will give you no sign except the sign that was given of Jonah. Jesus promised a sign that would have power to bring people to faith his resurrection. He had previously mentioned the sign of the prophet Jonah in Matthew 12, and here he is clearly explaining that you need no other sign. I am who I say I am, and I have proven who I said I am. Now think back to Jonah. Jonah did not prophesy. Jonah did not perform miracles. Jonah went to the people of Nineveh with one thing, and that was the word of God. He didn't do all this miraculous things in front of the people. Jonah is kind of a representation of Jesus. Jonah sacrificed himself for the sake of others. Jonah came back three days after he was in the belly of the the well, which we know that Jesus was placed in the tomb for three days. Jonah's main message was this, repentance. Turn away from your sins and turn back to God, which was the same message that Jesus declared, and it's the same message that we declare today.
which leads us to our last point. Kingdom bread, Jesus the true and faithful living. Pick back up with me with verse 5 of chapter 16. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, we brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, O you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive that you do not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 or how many baskets you gathered or the seven loaves for the 4,000 or in how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, there's a lot of talk about bread in these passages. But more than that, the disciples seem to always forget about lunch. In the feeding of the 4,000, they have nothing to provide. The feeding of the 5,000, they have nothing to provide. And what is their very first question or thought here? We forgot the bread, Jesus. We have nothing to eat. And then Jesus starts talking about leaven. Jesus knew that their minds were always on food. And he says, watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And all the disciples can think about is bread. That's all that's that's on their mind. Maybe some of you are sitting here right now saying, I wish this guy would hurry up because I want some bread. But Jesus points them to a greater meaning here. It's not about the bread. First of all, Jesus is God. If they need bread, he can make bread. And then he's like, don't you remember? I just fed 5,000 men, not counting women and children. I just fed 4,000 men, not counting women and children. The point is not about bread. And we can imagine how the disciples may may have felt hearing this from Jesus Because like them, I would probably have been thinking about bread too. So what is leaven? So leaven is used in dough to make bread. It's put into the dough and it makes the bread rise, creating a wonderful, fluffy loaf. But here's the thing about leaven. A little bit can go a long way and it can work its way into all of the parts of the dough. It has an overall effect of the dough itself. Jesus is comparing the false teachings of the Pharisees and the Sadducees to leaven. He says that false teachings is very powerful and it can affect everything around it. So he's telling the disciples, I'm not talking about physical little bread. I'm talking about the teachings that you are around. False teaching starts very, very small and works its way in bigger areas. He's essentially saying, stay away from those religious leaders because if you're not careful, you will 
be a part of their groups. So church, as a church, as PBC, we need to be aware of false teaching because it is out there. And if we're not watchful, if we're not mindful, then it could very easily creep its way into the teachings here. I would submit to you that there are three main strains of false teachings that we face today here in America. And it's liberalism, which is those who neglected the Bible's clear teachings on certain topics. It's legalism, which are those who add to the things of the Bible and require people to follow those in order to meet their religious approval. Finally, it's the prosperity gospel. Is that those who twist the scriptures to say that if you really love God, you'll be beautiful, you'll be healthy, you'll be rich, you'll be successful. And if we're not careful, we too can, can fall straight to these type of teachings. They are dangerous and they will lead you away from a genuine relationship with Jesus. Just like a little yeast can, um, can ruin an entire loaf of bread, a little false teaching can ruin an entire church or ministry. It's like an infectious infection that brings disease on, a other, on an otherwise healthy Christian or church. So we must be aware of false teaching. And I told my, my Sunday school class this morning, we were talking about the love and unity and how our love and unity for one another displays the gospel to non-believers in the contents of the church. And I told them that one way we show love and we show unity, and one way that we can help fight against false teaching is this. As anyone who stands behind this pulpit or anyone who teaches Sunday school or anyone who leads a Bible study, you yourself need to be studying the scriptures. You yourself need to be diving into the scriptures and making sure that what is being taught lines up with the word of God. So what does that mean for you as just a church member? You need to be reading your Bibles. You need to be studying the things of God. You need to be taking what is preached from these pulpits and Sunday schools and Bible studies and going home, sitting down, reading over the scriptures. Like, I challenge you to do that today. Take what I'm teaching, compare it to the Word of God. And if it's wrong, bring it to one of the elders or come to me personally. That's one way we fight against false teaching. So what do we practically do with this passage of Scripture? I think first, do not be afraid to approach Jesus with your problems. We see that the great crowds came to him. They brought their diseases and their sickness to him. We should not be afraid to approach God with the same through our prayers. Second, Rely on God to provide for even our most basic needs. Rely on God to provide for even our most basic needs. 
And lastly, study yourself approved so that you can help fight false teachings that may enter into the church. Because believe it or not, preachers, elders, teachers, they all go astray sometimes. It's not the job of just the leaders of the church to help fight against false teachings. It's the job of all of us to help fight against false teachings. So maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're saying, you know, I agree with everything that you said. But, you know, I struggle from time to time with coming to God with my problems because I feel like I can fix them myself or in my own strength I can do A, B, C, D, and E. But as a believer, we're, we're, we're called to bring our stuff to Jesus and let Jesus handle it. We are not made to bear the burdens that life throws at us apart from God and his Holy Spirit. I mean, we just sang about Hosanna. We sang about Jesus entering the city. And um, we're talking about this for Hannah, like, you know, that they... Jesus enters the city on a donkey, and they, and they lay down these palm branches, and, and everyone's excited. They're excited to see Jesus. But then the crowds quickly turn on him when they realize what is happening. And then we're coming up on Good Friday, where we're going to celebrate. It sounds weird, but we're going to celebrate that Jesus went to the cross for you and I. And he died on that cross for our sins. And then we're going to come next Sunday morning and we're going to have this joyous celebration of Jesus rising from the dead. This is the same Jesus who healed many people. This is the same Jesus who fed with just seven loaves and a couple pieces of fish. And now he's been nailed to the cross. He's been placed in the tomb. And then three days later, he rises from the dead having victory over our sin and making a way for you and I to freely come to him. As a non-believer, he wants you to come to him, bring your problems, bring your mess, and look at his love and compassion and receive his gift of salvation. And as a, as a believer, as a Christian, he has that same love and compassion for you as he does for non-believers, that he wants you to bring your stuff to him and rely on him for everything that is needed. So my prayer is that you recognize just how glorious, how powerful, how mighty our God is based off of these few stories. Would you pray with me?